When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello. Hi, Dave. Me and Paul went out last night. Together. A bit jealous. Mm. Mm. A lot jealous, to be honest. We went out together in... Uh, we went to a sports bar sat at a sports table and watched um, sports. Sports. We watched Newcastle <laughs> United without any. It was we were the only. It was, it was one of them huge bars that's sort of American, where you can request mm. what game you want, and without any. It was like I don't know a couple of hundred people in there or something, and we were the only ones watching Newcastle Sheffield. Well, yeah. What, 17th and 20th? Yeah, you, you wouldn't have expected a huge clamour for that. Not as well, there exactly was, a glamour type. There was an even more desperate-looking pair of people next to us in Sunderland shirts watching Sunderland Lincoln, which it was quite nice having both going on at the same time. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I wasn't going to mention it. I think as a Newcastle well, fan to. from Lincoln, it, was, it ticked a lot of boxes. That yeah. sitting at that bar watching those two games. Did you see the their second goal? Yes. <laughs> it was yeah, proper slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not gonna go into it at all, but another season in League One for them, that's really bad. <laughs> the longer they're down there, the harder it's gonna be to get out. It's but not anyway. over yet though. Yeah. Um well I tell you what is over. And that is the season to all intents and purposes. Because <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that is provably not over. <laughs> to all intents and purposes, it is, Paul. Ah. Because we know that we are safe. And uh, we know that we are the greatest team in the world. <laughs> um, we... Uh, I've had two matches since our last podcast. Um, although the last podcast came out 
after the Manchester City game, which we previewed in that mm. um, in a case of wonderful scheduling by us. But um, the, the Friday night game was against Manchester City, and I thought it was enormously enjoyable. Did you, Dave? Yeah, it was. It was fun because it was one of those um, because there was nothing riding on it because we scored three goals and we went for it and we, you know, for all we had that um, defensive shape, we still looked dangerous on the counter attack. We still, you know, we got a couple of penalties. Joe Willock played had another good game. Emil Kraft scored. There were lots to enjoy, but it was it was a nothing show. Uh, um, you know, it was like after the Lord Mayor's show for them. You know, they, they got the guard of honour. Their fringe players probably trying to, sh- to impress for like next season or whatever. But that was it was fine. Like, I don't care. I don't care that we lost that game. It was enjoyable. Well, no, you wouldn't expect us to, to get anything out of that game. But um, yeah. we made a good account of ourselves and it was a pretty enjoyable game. And it looked like... Uh, for a long time, it looked like we might get something out of it. Paul, you you sort of got to see it. Is that right? Yeah, my wife had scheduled Zoom drinks with some friends, pretty much at kickoff. So I had to have my phone with the game on silent behind that. So the eye line still matched up and looked like I was engaging with them. But they were like, it, I, it's so annoying. Cause I was clearly missing a really entertaining game, and then. <laughs> They're not. They're few and far between as a Newcastle fan this season. But there were a few See, moments. I, remember, I don't think like, I could have got away with. I don't think I could have got away with doing that. There were a few moments where suddenly I go like, "Fucking hell, really, really." <laughs> <laughs> good. Sounds like sounds like a good holiday you've got booked. <laughs> Just I didn't know Zoom drinks were still going on. Uh, well. Are we done with that? Is that are we? Are we sticking with Zoom drinks now? Are we? It might still happen could be here to stay but from what i saw oh, it looked a really we recording a zoom podcast anyway go on Paul. no i was gonna say from what i saw it looked like a really entertaining game and yeah we're quite mm. good when there's no pressure on us and we're not just settling to not get beaten yeah i think yeah i think a lot has to be has, it has to a lot of it has to go down to man city fielding a much changed side and them having just won the league. If they had anything to play for, um, I don't think we would have um, been in the game. Because, I mean, we were still like, what was it, like still like 17% possession or like 18% possession at home. So they were still comfortably the better side. It's just, yeah, it was a bit of a laugh. Like, like I say, like Joe Linton... Deservedly got a penalty and he smashed it home. It was a good penalty. Willick won a penalty and he put it away on the after the keeper made the, the save. So yeah, it's just a bit of a laugh. It's not really and Shelby hit the bar. That was good. Yeah. You say they were the, they were comfortably the better side, and they certainly mm. are in terms of ability. And um I guess that they, you know they did deserve to win probably by the end. But you know, that is the way they play. They will always dominate possession. And we will, against any side, usually have much less possession. So, mm. you know, the possession stats don't tell the full story. One, one no. thing that is emerging 
in in what has been, it turns out, a pretty good period of form for us in the last few games. Is mm. um, with the players that we've got fit now, we are a pretty impressive uh, counter attack inside. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, we talking about it later. Yeah, we were able to do that against Man City. It's such a shame that we didn't have a crowd in for that game. And instead we had a crowd in for the Sheffield United game, which was a win and it didn't look like a terrible game. But, you know, mm. it'd be nice to have it the other way around. But, um, yeah, it's it's. It, I'm pleased that you would have thought at this stage that we're the sort of side we've had such a shit season and when you think about how last season went I think most of us would have thought that once we were mathematically safe then we wouldn't be putting in any performances but actually we've managed to keep going yeah yeah I think the I think there's a point I want to make, but I did see one of the questions and I want to, um, that had come in from one of the, the, the listeners and my response to that. I mean, we can, we can do it now. It's basically do it. something. Do it. What's the question, Dave? It was from um, Thomas Burkan and he was, um, a, he was basically saying. I'll read it he, out. Let's, let me yeah, do this do, yeah, yeah. properly. Yeah. Thomas Burkan said, I was surprised by Dave's comment that we could easily finish 12th with a better manager. Have you really checked the other squads in depth, Dave? Do you honestly think we have better players than six other clubs? Because I don't. Should be funny that the, the, the tone of voice is not Thomas Birkin's own. <laughs> well, the punctuation, it's all, there's some exclamation marks in there and stuff. The way you're reading it, though, it seems like you should have you fucking idiot on the end. <laughs> well, I think that's implied. All right, fair enough, and, and deserved. Um, yeah, look, since the since the Brighton game, our form is is like top six. Like genuinely, we've got it's like fifteen points from from those games. It we are like points per game away. We are far far better. Like the goals for. In the last six games, is um, like fourteen goals for in the last six games, eleven conceded. Where previously we, in the thirty-one games previously, we'd scored like thirty goals and conceded fifty-one. So the the performance since that Brighton game, we are much much better, and that's because we're now playing a system that gets the most out of our best players. But also, even in their absence, we can still put in performances because Callum Wilson's been missing the last two games and we've scored four goals without him and we got three points, yes, against Sheffield United. But like the, the point is we don't need our best players if the system is a decent system. So do I think we could be better than we have been all season? 100%. 100% because we've been shit playing below ourselves for the majority of the season. The positive the counter to that would be that we have come to this system under the management of Steve Bruce. It's happened. It's taken a long time for happen, to happen. But mm. 
But I think our form yeah. in the last 10 games isn't representative of our season, much as the really bad form isn't either. We're an inconsistent team. As I know what you mean about not needing our strongest players. I think that applies with Wilson because Joel Linton's improved to a level where he can cover. But our form correlates almost perfectly to the level of involvement of Alan St. Maximin. It's, our upturn in form seems to be since his return and since he wasn't suffering the effects of long COVID. I think in some ways it, it's shown up the recent form how much of a one-man team we are, not just because of what he can do individually, but the the amount the opposition has to focus on him creates spaces for players like Almiron and Willock. Now we've got that system that has... Now we're set up to counter-attack it seems sort of perfectly designed for that. But I don't think we can say that's the level we should be at next season because we're always going to have injuries to those players. We're, I wouldn't be surprised if next season worked out exactly the same as this one. Like, my maths might be off. I'm quite happy to be corrected. But if if we had maintained this points per game after, like, post-Brighton, basically, that, that points per game after Brighton, that would get us to sixth. In, in an average season, I'm not saying that across the 38 games Newcastle United with this side could get sixth. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we've been punching well below it because um, the the coaches haven't been haven't been setting us up in the manner that we've all been crying out for since well forever. Like, don't isolate the striker. The reason Joel Linton's playing better now is because he's not as isolated. He's still not great, but he's not as isolated. The reason that we're getting more chances is because we're playing with wingbacks, with Murphy and Richie, who have been available for the majority of the season. They're getting forward. So this has been available to us. And again, I'm not saying that we can get top eight, top 10, whatever. I'm just saying that because we've been fucking around with this isolated striker system, been fucking around with different approaches and all the rest of it, that's why we've been in the like in the relegation conversation for the majority of the season. So we've got the players, and we've now found out what the system should be. We could definitely finish thirteenth, twelfth, absolutely. Well, one player, um, I think the big thing for next season now. I mean, uh, it's becoming more and more apparent is that we, we talk about said Maximum. We've just had a player score six goals for us in his last six appearances, something that no player's done for us since Alan Shearer. And Papi Cissé, I think. And Papi Cissé, mm. sorry. But in uh, Joe Willock, of course, I'm talking about, who is on loan and with every game his price goes up, it's, it seems unlikely that we'll keep him, right? Well, Luke Edwards in the Telegraph today was saying Arsenal, which seems unfathomable to me, Arsenal want 20 million for him, or maybe 25. You just think, like, that's a no-brainer. Newcastle could sign him for 20 million, sell him for 30 or 40 in a couple of years once the finance is back in football. Like, he's a young English player who's getting a goal a game at the minute. It seems I think, mad that that wouldn't happen. Well, I think this is where the idea that we've got nothing to play for isn't quite there at the minute because we could finish 
as high as 12th, I think. The difference between yeah. 12th and 17th is 8 million quid, which could be just under half a Joe Willock. So you sort of think the results at the weekend might become quite important. I think I send it to so so on Joe on Joe Willock. Arsenal are in are in financial trouble. That's why they wanted to join the ESL. They want to sign Odegaard permanently, so they need to raise some funds. But because of their financial situation and because you know they're not performing particularly well, they're going to have to. They're going to have to ex- like accept lower for 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 their players that they want to sell, because people know that they have to sell. They're not in a particularly strong position. So if we can, yeah, twenty twenty five million pound for Joe Willock, when he he's much more valuable to us than twenty five million on I don't know a random from from Greece or wherever or like two ten and fifteen million pound players. He's much more valuable because he works in the system that we've got and he works with the players that we've got. So if like like Paul says, it's absolute no brainer. Twenty five million is nothing to to yeah. It's unsustainable, right? It's an it's a ridiculous period of form, right? Yeah. You you sometimes wonder but then you wonder you've got these players who emerge who, you know, I remember hearing about Joe Willock and he would make appearances in the Arsenal first team and he was one of any number of, like, moderately exciting young English players. But before he came to us, there was never a lot of hype around Joe Willock. And you wonder whether in a couple of years' time he could just return to, you know, have a... end up. He could go on to have a solid you know, Tom Cleverley style Premier League career. I don't know if that was the right name to go for, but you know what I'm saying. Mm. Fairly, you know, an all right Premier League career. Or we could have like a Frank Lampard in our hands or something. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, when Harry Kane first came into the Spurs side, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of excitement about him, but he just kept on scoring. Mm. I mean, you never know that I mean, he does, he's not like a flair player or anything, but he's got so much energy and he's got, you know, he's got that knack of arriving in the box at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I I think though, like if if we were to sign Joe Willock for £25 million and he went on to have um, an average Premier League player career, good. That's really fucking good. It's much better than signing, you know, Joe Linton. Like it's much better than signing Emil Kraft for five million because he's not good enough. Yeah, Joe Willock, twenty-five million pound. If he goes on to be a bang average Premier League player, cool, brilliant. Then we've had a, a, a Premier League midfielder for the duration. And yeah, he might he might become brilliant and be signed by Man City in a few years. Cool, we'll sell him for forty, fifty million. He might not make it, but it's it's just worth it. He's absolutely worth it. I think the worry for me is what well. the worry for me is what other clubs come in for him because you sort of think yeah. level of ambition. If say like West Ham with European football come in or Leeds and the chance of working under Bielsa at a club that's growing and looking to do better season on season, you sort of think mm. even a club like Leicester, you could well imagine coming in for him. 
So I would, I'm not sure it'll be as easy as us just meeting Arsenal's valuation, which is a difficult enough thing to do under Ashley anyway. Maybe, we'll, we'll probably I mean, bid 15 there is a level, million. If once you start getting up to Leicester, you know, it depends how he feels in that himself, but you might be worried that he might get into the same situation if he's in an Arsenal where yeah. he's not an automatic starter. Whereas with us, he knows now, although to be fair, about three games ago, he wasn't even on the, in the starting lineup. But if he was to stay with us, you surely be pretty confident that he'd be making a lot of appearances next season. Yeah. It's a weird one because you look at him and think he'd be a great signing for a team like Arsenal. He's <laughs> <laughs> not bothered at all. He does I seem lovely I, as well, though, right? Doesn't he yeah. seem yeah. Like very smiley, very humble, positive? Uh, him and him and Shelby in the middle together feel like they could front an ITV One police procedural show as like good cop, bad cop. Especially 48 hours. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like an old, miserable cop. <laughs> um, did you see the interview he gave after the Sheffield United game, which we haven't talked about, but the after the Sheffield United game where, because um, the fans were back in and, you know, 10,000 Newcastle fans singing and chanting and, and by all accounts, because I couldn't watch it because my son decided to be a massive prick. Um, by all accounts, it was a, a good atmosphere. And then post-match interview, he, the, the fans that are near enough to him were singing like, you, you know, we want you to stay, we want you to stay. And you, you could see he was affected by that. And I think in as much as there's very little we can do to convince a, 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 a teenage millionaire to, to join the club, singing nice songs might, I don't know, might help. I think the thing that helps the first period of like regular football and it's gone really well. I saw him say in an interview that he's made friends for life at the club. So he obviously likes the dressing room. So I think the one secret weapon we the one secret weapon we have as a club for players of that age in particular, genuinely, I think is the film goal and how many kids grew up watching that and have like that sort of that cemented in their subconscious is like, oh, Newcastle's a really exciting club to go to. <laughs> uh, I'm not I, sure. I think I it's, genuinely I think, think that has affected some players in their did view. Did Cameron think Wilson say he wanted to join us because of the film goal? No, that was because of Biker Grove. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys remember was joined because of Spender? I don't mm. remember. Craft uh, signed because he's a big Vera fan. <laughs> They've all got different. Yeah. <laughs> Fernandez was really into the Lampton worm. <laughs> what's, what's the Lampton worm? The Lampton worm, Dave. Had a, it's a it's an old mythological poem. From, <laughs> from oh, how's it going? Wish lads had your gobs, I'll tell you all an awful story. Wish lads had your gob, I'll tell you boot the worm. Yeah. Almiron was and really ba- into the work of the vulnerable beads. <laughs> <laughs> you say vulnerable bead? Isn't it? What is it? The vulnerable. The, ven- the venerable, venerable bead, not the vulnerable. 
I haven't thought of him since I did a primary school project on him like 30 years ago. The venerable what? Bede. Bede? He was like a monk from Jaro. Like, wrote some stuff down. Come on, get with it. Paul, this is a Newcastle United podcast. (laughs) This is all going so far over my head. I also, I hate to be the, I'm pretty sure the Lambton Worm was a, was a County Durham myth rather than a Tyneside myth. Yeah, I'm Federico pretty sure. Fernandez doesn't yeah, know that, it's, does it's he? It's the same reason, region, isn't it? Mm. Well, the same fan base. If you want to go see <gasps> some of the, if you want to go see, if you want to go see some of the sights from the Lambton Worm, then yeah, you're pretty close by. You have to see. Yes, it. Wrapped himself around the Penshaw Monument. He didn't. I don't know. I was just being a dick. I feel like um, we slightly drifted away from the Sheffield United victory. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, we I were only what, half watching it. We were watching it. We didn't have the sound. Yeah, it was, it was great to hear fans back in the stadium, but the fans we were hearing were Tottenham Hotspurs because that was the game on the big screen. So we got to hear our usual negative atmosphere, but from Spurs fans, not Newcastle ones. But every time uh, we looked up and something positive was happening, it usually involved Sir Maxman. Yes. Yeah. Like, so I, I watched the, the highlights last night while you two were, um, I'm assuming, staggering past a kebab shop. Um, and look, it, he is... He, I tried to dismiss it earlier, but yeah, he's, he is the best player on our side and 90% of what's good about Newcastle United at the minute is him. Um, but the the way that he pulls, pulls defenders to him is what he's always been doing, but what he seems to have added to his game is a bit more end product. And the the ball, like the no-look pass to, to Murphy, who then crosses it in for Willick, that's as good as beating two men with a dribble because he takes like three men out with one pass perfectly weighted ball for Murphy to put the cross in and a really another really good header from Willick it's just a lovely goal all round if yeah. he could add more goals to his game say maximum mm. then he could be like one of Europe's best players right but I think well, it's fine, fine of what he has added to his game. I think it was only the start of this season. We were sort of comparing him and Adama Traore at Wolves and mm. feeling there wasn't a huge amount of difference between them. Like Both quite raw, but both didn't really know what to do in the final third. So Maximum now, especially with Willock, just seems to have that understanding. He's not just going down blind alleys. Like He can dribble his way out of trouble and it's just... You just every time you look at him, there's like three defenders around him, and then suddenly pockets of space everywhere. Hmm. I mean, he's missed 18 games this season uh, so far, and you know, for him to have in in the remaining 20 to have the impact that he has, especially when, as as Paul rightly references, he's had long COVID, so he's not he wasn't really at like peak physical fitness even when he did return. I think he's a magnificent footballer. And we should stick a fifty million pound price tag on him because he's got a long contract. Um, because if if we don't, if we if we allow another team to come in for him, the likes of West Ham, Everton, Leicester, they could afford 35, 40 million quid for him. And 
they they take a punt on it because he can't even if he plays twenty games a season for them, he could be the difference between uh, top half and Europa or Europa and Champions League. Well, we'll see. But uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have a break now. And uh, after the break, we'll, um, we'll just talk a bit more. And then, um, and then we'll wrap up. And then we'll go to bed. That must have everyone wetting their appetite to come back after the break. <laughs> <laughs> talk a bit more, then we'll finish. We might go to then, uh, yeah. An honest representation. And it's live. If you want, Paul, you're from Lincoln. If you want, yeah. after the break, you can um, tell us about what kind of um, ancient. <laughs> I'll sing. I'll Lincoln. sing the Lincolnshire poacher. Yeah, come on, you sing that. Right. <laughs> All right. Back in a bit. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. So, good break, guys. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Ooh. the video of Florian Lejeune scoring twice in the dying minutes against Everton. Yeah, that was up there with one of the most uh, mental outcomes of a football match that I've watched before. Yeah, they were 2-0 up and absolutely battering us. And yeah, there's no way we should have come away with that for a point. I think that was like, was it the same week? Or was it the, the following fixture where Isaac Hayden scored in the dying minutes against Chelsea? We were in a really like, unsustainable run of points. I remember that, where you just mm. you weren't even celebrating the goals going in, you were just laughing because it was it <laughs> felt like a glitch in football. <laughs> Which like so I've been hypercritical of not hypercritical, I've been critical of Bruce. Um Quite consistent. Not, not hypercritical, fucking critical, I think is the term you're looking for. <laughs> but the the performances in the last like since Brighton, the performances, I think we've deserved every result, if that makes sense. Like even yeah. the ones where we lost, I think we 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 there, there hasn't been one where I've been like we were that was a bit uh, like uh, I'm pretty if if he can sustain roughly this form, like obviously we're not as good, but like roughly this form, next season then we should be all right. We should be like thirteenth. Well, speaking of C Bruce, it was the first time that we had fans in mm. this season, and um, 
nice to have them back, though it was. I wonder whether Steve Bruce was pleased at that. The fans did a sort of like, uh, it's always a bit weird, isn't it? For the, the, a sort of laugh of honour at the end. It's, it's true. Every club, doesn't it, does it, don't they, for their their last home game of the season to thank the fans for their support over the course of the season. It's a really odd situation to be doing it when it's the first time that the fans are in. Yeah. So the fans want to express everything that they've been thinking that year, mm. I would imagine. And the two yeah. main messages that came out of that seem to be uh, Joe Willett, we want you to stay, and Steve Bruce, we'd rather you didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, Steve Bruce sort of separated himself. From, I don't know if it was by accident or design, but he was separate from the players and even the coaching staff, which gave the fans the opportunity to single him out and boo him. Mm. Um, anything we want to say about that? I think it's fair. I think it, it is reasonable for fans to, like you say, to try and squash every every emotion that they've had throughout the season in in into one game. Like after, even after the game, it's like it, there's a lot to get through. And for all the, the you know Sheffield United would beat them, and it was a decent result, and it was by all accounts a decent performance. Um, we have been really fucking shit under Bruce for the most part, and I think it's reasonable for them for the fans to say it's not good enough, especially when he's he hasn't been afraid to like have a dig back. Sure. I didn't have a lot of big problem with it. I didn't think it was like a moral aberration or whatever. No. Uh, It's the the sort of situation sort of traditional British football men that go on talk sport will probably have a massive go at. But like you say, it's not, they're not reacting to that one game. They're sort of consolidating a season of misery and joy into one before, into one fixture. Mm. But as well, it wasn't like a toxic atmosphere either. But I don't, I don't think Bruce could say like, "Well, what have I done this season to deserve negativity from the fans in the stadium?" Yeah, and I think from what I heard, the the anti, well, like the the booing of Bruce only really happened when he did the lap of honor. Like during the game, the fans were, by all accounts, fully behind the side, and you know. I think they had a couple of chances against Ashley and I think they had a couple of chances against Masters of the, the Premier League and probably about, you know, the Premier League in general. But um, this wasn't this wasn't like a, a toxic atmosphere, as, as Paul says. It just sounds like we're not happy with Bruce because on the whole, we're not. I'd love to go. I hope we get to go next season. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, uh, we didn't get... Because, basically, I was crap at putting stuff out on social media. Or maybe all our fans, fans, all our listeners, are um, dead, maybe. I don't know. But we didn't get um, much social media action. But uh, in addition to Thomas Burkham, we did get quite a good question from Teague who said, which NUFC player has had the best ever international career? Now, 
he's not very specific. Does he mean current Newcastle player? Does he mean? I'm gonna I'm gonna frame the question. I'm gonna say which play Newcastle player in history has had the best international career whilst at the club. Mm-hmm. You can't include, for example, Michael Owen, who did have a very good international career. Or Givarch, who won the World Cup. You, won, you can't include Paul Gascoigne or... You know. I'd say arguably you could have Moussa Sissoko in there, even though he went on to win the World Cup or the Euros after leaving us. He sort of took off there. But I think... Mm. I don't know, while Shearer probably while with us, just in terms of number of captain, goals. Yeah. Captain. Um we, we haven't really like I mean you could you could make arguments for like um Nobby Solano. I th- I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think he's like one of the most capped Peruvian players. Um but after that, we don't have a we, we haven't been blessed with a plethora of of um, international stars. Like even our best, some of our best players, like David Ginola, Hatem Ben Arfa, Laurent Robert, they were never fancied by the French um, by the French national side. Depends as well what you mean by success. Like, is it success by the standards of their country, or is it success generally? Is it like trophies? Because there's an argument for like Shea Given. Mm. Just the number of island caps he got, but you wouldn't think you don't think Aaron of Shane Gibbon as a decorated international player. Yeah, Aaron Hughes. There's even yeah. an argument for like Kieran Dyer in terms of having his best international years when he was with us. Craig Bellamy. Mm. Well, there's a lot of answers there. None of them. <laughs> None of them good. None of them good. None of them particularly satisfying. No. There's a lot of it. Yeah. Thank you very much for the question, but it turns out that it's it, all it provided was an impenetrable void. <laughs> to be fair, I think that's mainly due to your your rule change as well, or your narrow definition. Okay, well, okay how would you like to frame the question? And um, well, I think if you go, who, which players that have played, which players that have played for Newcastle have had the best international career? Suddenly, you've got players like Sissoko who've won the World Cup. I think. Gugash won the World Gugash, Cup. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Right. Reframe it. There. The answer is Stefan Gugash. <laughs> John Barnes. John Barnes. Ian Rush. Yeah. We've had some. Didi Haman. Ter- Didi Haman. Yeah. Didi Haman. Has he won a World Cup? Well, wasn't he more around for Germany when they were awful? When we tonked them five-one. Or when England did, I should say. Did play in that game. When's the last time Germany won anything? As in, he might have been around. I don't know. I don't know. But um, I think Sissoko might be the answer. We didn't have anyone in the 66 squad, did we? Don't think so. We'll have had, like, early days of football, we'll have had some of the, like, top Scottish players, but it's sort of... Mm. When they were like a proper yeah. force. There you go. I'm going to accept Musa Sissoko. Mm. Oh, and we did Musa have Diego Maradona, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Him and Pele up front was amazing. I mean, um, Musa Sissoko, part of the French squad, 
you wouldn't have said said he was one of the best players of that World Cup. Paul Gascoigne, yeah, would say was one of the best players of Italian '90 and Definitely. Euro '96. Yeah, yeah, um, and Sh- and Shearer Shira. was top goal scorer in Euro '96. Yep, yep, saying it as we say. A lot of answers. A lot of answers. <laughs> None of them good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, um, go on, Dave. Is there something you want to say? Yeah, I was going to. You mentioned it earlier on that we can catch. It is possible for us to catch Wolves in 12th if we beat Fulham and other results go our way. And the other results that could impact us, like where we end up at the end of the season, is like Crystal Palace. Um, Southampton, Brighton, uh, and I think they've all got pretty tough, you know, difficult fixtures. Um, so it, it is conceivable. I, I think the, the thing for us to focus on is if we can get to forty-five points again. I think that's that's a good that's a good return given how shit we've been for a lot of the season. Um, well, yeah, is, we're on forty-three points now, so we would need three points to do it. Is that what we got last season? Was it forty-five points? I think we got 44 last season and the season before we got 45. And the season before that, we got 45. And the season before that, we got 44. So if we can maintain around about 44, 45, that's fine. I have heard Bruce mention that a couple of times and I think he definitely sees that as a big personal goal because then he makes it a lot easier for him to defend himself. He says, look, I've had two seasons here and I did exactly as well as Rafa Benitez um, I mean I mean, he can do but there's a lot of other things that I think even Mike Ashley would would take into account like how much money has been spent to get exactly the same performance that he got from a you know a recently promoted side and then a side that he didn't spend any money on the other thing to notice is like this could be the lowest points total needed to survive Um in Premier League, I think in the last 20, 21 years. Um, Fulham on like 28 or something. Yeah, Fulham are on 28. So, yeah. Yes. So, the, they, don't, the mo- if they don't get anything against us, then Burnley could have survived from 29. But then, um, the I think that the next like lowest target, like lowest total was West Brom in 2004, 2005 with 34 points. So even if they get 31, they're still the lowest. Ah. I think um, either way, Bruce will have bought enough goodwill, certainly from Ashley. And I suspect some fans to, it won't be, I don't think it will be a toxic atmosphere on the first game of next season. I think he'll probably still be in the job. And, if you don't look at the performances for most of the season, you would say that's probably fair. But it's quite hard not to look at those as a fan. But I think as well, the other reason he's probably deserves a chance is that you look at how terrible our home record's been this season without fans. And it's it feels like a season where you shouldn't draw too many conclusions because it's such an anomalous season. I think that, in a way, will probably help him be given more of a chance too. Well, I think I also how, probably... just very quickly how how strongly we've ended the season. For like, even if like, however we've come on, like stumbled upon this system, this formation, all the rest of it. I think that 
allows Bruce to go into conversations with the the money men and say, I need Joe Willock and I probably need another, I don't know, like a left back or a right back or something like that. I need I need these things because they fit into this side and this side, this system will get you 45 points every season. So let's let's do that. And I think it, it, because we've ended strongly, he's in a much better bargaining position. And it looks like Mike Ashley is more willing to let Steve Bruce spend a bit of money or at least have more control over where the money's spent than he was with his predecessors. I think it's each time it's just Mike Ashley wants to spend whatever it'll take for him to stay in the division, for the club to stay in the division. Mm. And last summer, I think he was able to be persuaded that he did need to spend some money. And I think we should be losing some of the wage bill this summer as well. I'm trying to think who's... Has Saive still got another year somehow? <laughs> Saive, Atsu, Carol... Um, I'm not sure about Lejeune. I don't know how long he's got left. Um, Sorry, Carol. Carol's off, right? Yeah, yeah, Carol. Like, it'd be amazing if his contract was extended again. Just we are no... extending some odd contracts, though. Like, we've extended Gales and Shelby's. Gales is a really odd one. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, we sort of suggest we're not going to sign another striker. I'd say that's sort of. Unless it's a, an effort to raise his value so that when we do, if we were to sell him in the summer, we could still get 10, 12 million pounds for him rather than the, you know, rather than him running down his contract and going for very little. He's played so little football the last couple of years, you wonder whether he has much value. I think I if you're a championship club that doesn't think things through properly, <laughs> and there's a lot of them. You'll go like 15, 20 million guaranteed 20 goals. Not that he is necessarily guaranteed 20 goals, but I think a lot of people still perceive him as that in the championship. Yeah. A derby buy him. It'd be interesting because yeah. we've apparently got a 40%. It was a big sell on clause for Adam Armstrong. Yeah. Excuse me. I'd love to see him back at the club. Um, I don't think he's better than Callum Wilson, but I think he's better than Dwight Gale and Andy Carroll. Yeah. Did we talk about did we talk about that on the podcast? That is I think we have before, thing. yeah. I think our selling sell on clause means we basically get him sort of five million cheaper than anyone else would. Which would still probably mm. be too expensive for our board who would haggle and lose him to someone like Brentford if they come up, but who knows? Yeah. But we could we could absolutely sell if we had our head screwed on, we could sell some of our fringe players and we could get like a couple of million here and there, cut down the size of the squad, bring in Willock, bring in Adam Armstrong, bring in Jetro Willems, who it's you know rumoured that we're in for because he'll he'll be available on a free. Do yeah. that and we we've got a decent not decent, but like an okay mid table Premier League side. I wonder yeah. if Armstrong would look at us and think, mm, I'm not gonna get enough games. But then he might think, well, Wilson looks like he's going to be injured quite a lot. I think you'd look at <laughs> Callum Wilson's injury record. I think as well, the other thing this season, you look at what attracts players like Joe Willock, apart from the film Goal, and it is playing alongside St. Maximin was a big thing for him. It's like their partnership, mm. having that sort of exciting player. It's not, 
I mean, not bringing it all back to Rafa, but it's probably a more exciting footballing prospect in some ways if you're an attacking player than being part of like mm. a very well regimented counter attacking Rafa team. But yeah, that's, but I that's think debatable. And that's not me. Yeah, Bruce I, is a better manager than Benitez or anything. No, no, no. Like that, but. No, but I, I think the, the type of players that um, Steve Bruce would like to go out and sign are like Alan St. Maximum, uh, um, swashbuckling players. Like Ryan Fraser, he exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've, we've totally forgotten about him. Does he, though? Um, is he like, uh, what's the. What's the thing with the draw? The Lambton uh, one. No. <laughs> what the hell am I thinking of? I keep thinking of Pavlov's dog. Are you thinking about that. the? No, you're thinking about the cat. Yeah, the cat in the draw. Schrodinger's. Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat. We got Schrodinger's yeah. Fraser. Yeah. He's just pitching podcast titles now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We've got the Lambton worm. Take the day off. Oh, yeah. Our job's done. Right, so our last game of the season is at Craven Cottage. It's against Fulham. On a usual season, there would be a pretty strong chance that Paul and I would be there. Oh, imagine last game of the season, neutral end at Fulham. Oh, it's a shame. And we won't play him next season. Unless we meet him in the cup. Nope. But Brentford might be coming up. That would be good. I won't be able to see the game, unfortunately, because I'm going to my grandmother's 90th birthday party. And um, she's not going to have a projector up. I'm going to install. The, I'm just going to have the phone, my phone with the game on, just behind her head at all times. <laughs> do it. Um, but uh, what we're going to do now is make some predictions. What do you reckon will happen in the game against Fulham, Paul? I think. We're gonna win three nil. Yeah. Mind that, Dave. I think we're gonna draw one one. I was thinking. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> um, I think we'll do it. I think they're complete. I think we're on a real. Wow, actually. St. Maximum limped off, didn't he? Yeah, but I think it was just a precaution. I don't think, I think because of the nature of the game that we were playing, and I think it was just a precaution. It didn't, you know, I've heard nothing to say he's out. I I hope that was just a move to deter bidders. (laughs) I think we should do that every game. Just have a win. I think we're going to win 2 1. 2 1. Just can't get points, really, can we? And, uh, it seems bizarre now how worried we were about them not that long ago. And now we're 16 points almost ahead of them. No, 14 points. Who who was worried? I wasn't worried. No, you were bizarrely calm. I'm an excellent judge. You were the one who was going on about how we were going to go down. When, when Bruce was appointed, yeah. Yeah, uh, and did you turn out to be right or wrong? I was going to say, you said that, Dave, in a way that said, and I was right. <laughs> well, yeah, because I didn't know that we were going to bring in Graham Jones, and oh, course, yeah. now we have. Yeah, you forgot about that, didn't you? forgot about the Graham Jones. God, God, I love Graham Jones. 
he's so good at these tactics. <laughs> His split striker system that we doggedly drove into a cliff. Right. Okay. We'll um, leave it there. Thank you so much for your company. Uh, we'll, we'll try and do uh, one more Newcastle Natter after the Fulham game. Maybe a bit of a season the... review, yeah. It'll be a season review, which will probably take the form of pretty much every other podcast we've ever done. Because they're all basically season reviews, aren't they? We've just basically yeah. done a season review, but we'll find a way of making it interesting. Maybe we should bring back um, Life After Love or Love After Life. What's it called? It's Life After Life. Love. Life After yeah. Love. We'll try and bring it back that um, game that's been sweeping the nation, and um, yeah, we'll find some ways to make it fun. Yeah, perhaps we could always maybe. bring back Charlie Hunter. Maybe it's a bold could move. Do. Bold move. Um, I would suggest uh, maybe you want, might want to chip in on uh, the Newcastle Natter Twitter with some suggestions for awards for the season. Maybe yes. we'll do a bit of that. Nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you. Thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener, and thank you, as ever, to Graham Jones. Thank you. Goodbye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.